Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. It's Chris Howard from Lace Partners. And the reason why I'm putting an emphasis on the Howard is because my organization decided that they needed, there wasn't enough Chris's in it. So we've got ourselves a new Chris, and his name is Chris Horton, and he's director at uh, Lace Partners. Chris, welcome. Thank you, Chris Howard. Um, nice to be here. <laughs> I'm super excited today to do my pod, my first podcast um, with Lace. Yeah, we're excited to have you on as well. And to make the trio complete, it wouldn't be a fantastic podcast if I didn't have our co-founder and managing director back with me. It's Kathy Akratopolo. Kathy, how are you doing? You're right. I'm good, Chris. I'm good. Thank you. It's going to be very confusing for me today. And for our listeners, I'm going to call you Mr. Howard and Mr. Horton to keep it simple. I think. <laughs> I think that makes sense. Chris one or Chris two, but then you're going to fight about who's number one. So I'll just keep it Mr. Howard and Mr. Horton. I think that's probably the best. That's probably the best. So today's topic that we wanted to talk about is HR strategy versus people strategy. And this is a really interesting one because I think there's a lot of misconceptions that happen um, in the market between the two. And so what we wanted to do is just do a bit of demystifying and then also talking up the value, I guess, of the two. And I want to start with you, Kathy, because this is one of your, as we talked just before uh, we went live, this is one of your particular soapboxes. Uh, so the first question that we're going to just pitch, and I'd just like you to give us a little bit of colour around, is uh, the difference between HR strategy and people strategy. Yeah, Chris, absolutely. Very happy to. And I think it's fair to say that the nature of what we do at LACE is is, is help our clients who are predominantly um, HRD, CPOs, CHROs, to articulate their strategies and then understand how you then operationalize and achieve those strategies over time. And, you know, the terms are used interchangeably, people strategy, HR strategy. Um, but for me, there are distinctions to be made. And I think certainly the conversations I tend to have with my clients are around, you know, what's the, what's the value in the distinction when you look at it from the perspective of purpose and audience. So if we think about people strategy, to me, the people strategy is effectively the business articulation of how we will achieve our outcomes from a people perspective. So as an as a HRD, you're sitting as a member of the executive team and therefore actively contribute to the development of the business strategy, i.e. what you will be achieving, what the outcomes are as a business that you're looking to achieve over the next two, three, four years. Clearly, as the HRD or the CPO in that scenario, you will understand what the people implications of those outcomes are. So if you're looking for growth or you're going for geographical expansion, or if you're looking to acquire a business or drive up sales performance, for example, part of your role is to interpret that as to what does that mean we need to do differently with our people and to help the business team understand those outcomes as well from a people perspective. So to me, the people vision and strategy is that articulation of the business strategy in terms of what do we need to achieve with our people to enable us to achieve the business outcomes. And it's to me, it's, it's, it's written in, it's short and simple, and it's written in business language. The audience is the exec and the wider business community. The HR strategy in comparison to me is something that is 
for consumption within the HR function. Therefore, it's written in HR language. And how many of us in HR have always have been accused of, of talking HR gobbledygook when we talk to our business partners? Yeah, you know, ultimately, this is this is the opportunity to set out those that the way in which the function will achieve the people outcomes through the things that it will do over time. So that's for the HR community, therefore written in more of an HR language. So what is it that HR will create, change, deliver around the the, the way employees are managed within the organisation to achieve the people outcomes that are articulated in the people strategy? So if it was me, for example, I wouldn't put, if I was an HRD, I wouldn't be putting my HR strategy in front of the business exec. I'd be putting my people strategy, which is a business document for their consumption. Mr. Horton, over to you. So, so Kathy, if, if we were taking it to example level, what are the kind of things? So you, t- you touched on growth strategy, for example, or geographic growth, that, that's more a business articulation. What are the kind of things that, that, you, would, that you would put in your people strategy um, that you wouldn't necessarily put in the HR gobbledygook? <laughs> and let me make it clear it's only gobbledygook to the business sometimes the language we use is, is the point I'm making right the language we use may not be as simple or as straightforward as it might need to be if you're talking to a business audience um, so look let, let me let me make it clear around what might be in a people strategy than compared to an HR strategy so in that scenario if you're looking for expansion you know you, you are trying to understand not just the scale of the business that you're looking to be so what, what do we need to achieve in terms of um, people numbers, but also capabilities. So what is the capability shift required within the workforce? So in effect, you're, you're, you're sort of taking that from a strategic workforce planning perspective and saying, what, how does the capability uh, makeup of our workforce need to change over time to reflect the growth of the business? And that might be geographical. It might be around um, specific skills if you're looking to move into maybe different technology or different products. But but in effect, you know, the sorts of things that might be in a people strategy are the articulation of the experience that you're looking to offer, how the workforce needs to change over time, and therefore the sort of cultural and capability aspects of what it is you're looking to achieve. Whereas the HR strategy might be saying more around, well, okay, if we need, if we know we're going to for a geographical expansion, how are we going to recruit and retain or grow our own resources that will enable us to achieve that expansion? So it gets into the more practical aspects of recruitment, development, and operational workforce planning, if you like, if that helps, Chris Horton. <laughs> So it gets into some of the sort of build versus buy discussions, the actual rather than rather rather than the what. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and so, you know, the people strategy is simple, right? It's it's nothing more than than a, a few pages, if you like, of, of articulation of the outcomes that you're looking to deliver. And certainly the ones that I've been involved in or have seen with clients tend to be shaped around, you know three or five pillars of things that you would focus on, but they don't go into the detail of how you do it. It's more about the outcome, the what, you know, what is it we need to deliver, not the how. The how to me is then the HR strategy. And Kathy, what are the what are the, the pillars that you're talking about? So, you know, I, I often think about things like, you know, talent and skills. So what, what's the capability that, that's necessary? Actually, how you structure the organization from an HR perspective. So, you know, how do you actually provide service um, to, to employees, to line managers, to senior leaders? What kind of other things do you think are, are important in that space? Well, I think in, in the people strategy aspect, it needs to be in the same language as and in the same structure as the business strategy. 
So whatever the pillars are for the business strategy, you're effectively saying, how does how do we enable that? What are the people outcomes that will enable those pillars, whether that's growth, whether it's you know new capabilities within the organization? And I use that in its broadest term in terms of, for example, products. Whereas the HR strategy absolutely would say, you know, ultimately to me, it will be built around things like operating model. Like so, so you know, what are, what is our service offering? How will people access that service? How how will we be structured? What capabilities do we need within HR? HR to deliver that, what processes need to change, what systems need to change, what does our sort of organizational makeup look like in HR. So you, you get from sort of more conceptual pillars in the in the people strategy, which are aligned to the business pillars, whatever they may be. The HR ones are more around the work streams of activity, if you like, that drive that. Now, you know, there are there are changing themes, I think, as to what would be most pertinent around people strategy. And we can we can get into those shortly. But that to me is probably the distinction of the the nature of the content and how it might be structured between the two. So you you have lots of discussions with CHROs or CPOs um, and, and you know give them different advice. Do you see that that CHROs need to more strongly align with whoever's leading HR, sorry, who is ever leading business strategy within the, within the organisation? So really getting closely aligned to understand what the business strategy is, so that the people strategy is fundamentally aligned and and you know making sure that everything works. Yeah, and I'd be keen to get your perspective on this as well, Chris Horton, because <laughs> it's going to get confusing because. Um, yeah, it varies, obviously, organization to organization. Some some businesses have a group strategy lead, for example, on the, on their um, exec team. Some don't. And, and, and some, you know, they may not have that job title, but there may be one person accountable for shaping strategy within a business. But, and, and other businesses will have it across the exec team. And then it becomes more of a, a, a sort of cyclical review and, and directional sort of piece linked to their business planning cycle. So it depends on whether there's a single accountability, I guess, for running that that review cycle or whether it's a shared accountability as to who the HRD needs to align with. But ultimately, absolutely, um, HR, just the same as IT and finance and so on, will need to be very clear on the, um, the thinking behind that strategy evolution and be actively contributing it to it as a member of the exec team. So it's it's not something I think is specific to HR. I think it's all part of every support function, if you like, that is part of the business is just really understanding the direction of travel and how they enable that. And I, th- I think that's a really good answer, Kathy, in the sense that depending on the size of the organization, the complexity of the organization, you know, whether whether there is a specific HR, sorry, a specific strategy function and the ability of HR leadership to, to align with that, or whether it's a process whereby senior execs are all contributing, I think is, is often a, a function of size. So for the, I think larger organizations where there's a specific strategy person, um, it's much more likely that that, you know, it will be a one-to-one or you know, in, in slightly smaller organisations, um, you know, a broader group of people to actually do that, to have that discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as I say, it, it varies. Um, but but the point is the alignment activity needs to happen. I'm going to ask the, uh, the inevitable pandemic question, which is, do we think that over the last year, more organisations from what we're seeing and the, and the clients that we've spoken to and those that obviously we are and aren't working with, but just what's happening in the market. Do we think that more businesses have been putting their people strategy or at least cognizant of needing to evolve their people strategy has, has changed? Has, has there been much shift in the last year and a half, do you think? Do you want to go first, Chris? Sure. So 
I had an interesting phone call with one of my friends last night who is a HR director um, in Europe. She works for an American company. I'm not going to mention the name because the story is an interesting one. So she was she was in a meeting yesterday and it was all about hybrid workforce post-pandemic and the CHRO and the HRDs across the rest of the world were all putting forward their plan to actually have a hybrid workforce and encourage people back to work and then give different options so that so that people could choose to whether they worked at home or whether they worked in the office. They'd proven that productivity hadn't um, gone down over the, the pandemic so that, that there was no real business outcome that was going to change by pulling people into the office. The CEO said, why don't we bring everyone back in for six months and then um, and then decide what to do? Now, the CHRO and each of the HRDs had a very swift response, which was that will be a PR disaster. Do we want to lose everyone? Um, and I think th this is the interesting thing. So I think in answer to your question, Chris Howard, lots of organisations are focused on this, are looking at people's strategy. I think a lot of people have, um, even with the pandemic, even with a lot of things that have, have happened, have miss the boat or are not thinking about what they should be thinking about. But I think HR leadership has a role to remind them um, how important those kind of things are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd, I'd echo that as well, uh, Chris. I mean, I, I think the, the, the challenge or, or the opportunity, I guess, um, following the pandemic um, as we as we emerge is that I, I think the way we manage our people is really high on the business agenda, okay? And and I think there is a, a broad recognition, therefore, that that the 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 well-being aspects, the flexible working aspects of emerging from the pandemic, whatever ge geography you're in, need business-wide consideration. And therefore, the CPO or CHRO absolutely has a role to facilitate that conversation and make sure that conversation is happening in a timely, effective way. But it is a business-wide consideration. And therefore, it's, it's a great opportunity for HRDs, I think, to take that, that sort of um, recognition and probably raising up the priority list on the agenda as a way of using that to shape the people strategy conversation if it's not something that has happened previously or maybe has sort of stagnated over over um, lockdown because of the immediacy impacts of dealing with furlough and downsizing workforces and so on have taken precedence understandably so so i think there's a great opportunity now to revisit that from a people strategy outcome i.e in business language what are we trying to achieve what do we want to deliver for our people and therefore, I think the themes that are emerging, certainly from, from my experience, are very much around people's strategies now, thinking more around well-being, thinking more around diversity and inclusion than they have ever done before. With And this is the business appetite, right, to talk about these topics rather than this being HR-led. So I think well-being, diversity and inclusion, the flexible working aspects of that. But I also think the digitization agenda is probably higher than it ever has been as well in recognition of the fact that you know, we will have hybrid workforces in some shape or another. And even if you're fully manufacturing or, or fully um, focused on on client service in a face-to-face in -face setting, there will still be aspects of work that will be more hybrid, whether that's your support functions or whatever. You know, ultimately, it's going to affect every organization. And therefore, the way you manage an, uh, a workforce that is going to have team members both in the office, out of the office, in the factories or in the, in the sales environment, 
out of the sales environment is quite complex, actually, to make sure that you are offering a positive employee experience and not alienating people who aren't physically there. Okay, so I think this this sort of need to think this through at a strategic level is on everyone's radar, not just HRs. And therefore, there's a great opportunity here for HR directors to shape that conversation and again, prove their value as they have done throughout the pandemic of helping the business articulate what that might look like for their organisation. Can I ask another question then, actually? How many HR directors or senior HR leaders do you guys think actually get the distinction right, get the understanding right between the HR strategy and the people strategy? How many are actually good at articulating it? How many have a good enough relationship at exec level to be able to drive people strategy? And Chris and I are battling as to who's going to go first on this. <laughs> Let's let ladies go first. Come on. Uh, you went first last time, Chris. So go on, Kathleen. Okay. So I think it's a really interesting question. I think we have to ask ourselves of the purpose Right. What is the purpose of having anything that sets out on paper? Because ultimately, these are things on paper, right, of, of what your strategy is, whether it's people, HR, business, whatever. If it's just to have it written down and it goes back on a shelf, forget it. Right. It's it's an exercise you're going through to have something to say you have a strategy. Now, I'm not saying that that is commonplace at all. What I'm saying is we need to challenge ourselves as to this has to deliver value for the business, ultimately. And therefore, to me, the value of having it, having the process by which you are building the people strategy and HR strategy is is more important than the documentation that goes with it. But what it does give, and what I think is really important, is a common language and framework that you then use to track progress and communicate progress. And so whether you're talking to your exec team as as a fellow member of the C-suite, let's say as an HRD, or whether you're talking to your HR community, it gives you a framework around which you can say, how are we doing? And to be able to say, look, guys, when we set out our people goals, our people strategy, six months, 12 months, whenever it was ago, let's remind ourselves of our pillars, our intent, what the outcomes were and how, how what's the direction of travel, how are we achieving? And then if the goalposts shift, which they often do, you know, unknown things like pandemics crop up, right, things mm-hmm. change, then at least you can say, look, things have changed. We need to shift our outcomes and our pillars, but let's do it consciously and accept that if we need to focus on these new things, if things are changing, then we won't have time necessarily to do some of the other things that we said we would do. So it's a constant sort of shifting of prioritization, but it's also that progress tracking and framework, which I think is so important to keep everyone aware of the direction of travel and progress against it. Mr. Horton. So I I think it's a nuanced discussion on, on top of that. So I agree with, with what Cathy has said. I also think it depends on where your CHRO or CPO actually has come from. So if they've come from the business, I think often, you know, so they've run a line of business and then they've moved into an HR leadership role, which I think is becoming more common than we have seen perhaps in the past. I think they're less concerned about whether it's HR strategy versus people strategy. I think what they're interested in is, to Cathy's point, the articulation of what are we doing and how are we actually going to do it? And I, and I think from, from Cathy's perspective, it's really that the two strategies communicate very clearly what's happening. One very business facing, 
one very one more HR function facing, and it's using terminology and and language that people are used to. And I think that's the the important thing. Um, so I would say for those people who come from the business, less concerned about the top title, they're concerned about how the organisation performs, and the fundamental element of that is how people perform within the organisation. I think for CHROs who've come up through the HR organisation, it's a much more familiar topic and a, a much more familiar content. Exactly, Chris. And I think the important thing here is, are we all clear within the HR community on what we are personally focused on and why it's important? Right. So I understand if I'm the head of reward that this is what I am accountable for this year, next year. I understand if I'm working in talent that this is what I'm accountable for this year, next year. I'm not just what I'm accountable for, but why it's important and why it will deliver the business outcomes that we have committed to as a function to our business stakeholders. So that there has to be complete clarity around, you know, that the fact that we are setting out not just the strategy, but the operational plan that will get us there. Because strategy is nice words on a page. It's how you operationalize it that's important. And that drives down to, at an individual level, what am I doing to contribute to that outcome? And, and without the strategy in the first place, it's very hard to shift the dial or change the direction of travel of what teams are used to doing on a year-on-year basis. So in HR... HRO today, you were quoted saying post-pandemic for HR directors that have, that have excelled, CEOs will be more committed than ever to acknowledging the value that HR um, brings to their organisation. Also, Ariana Huffington has um, said, and I've heard quite a few other um, pundits say, um, you know, the, the CHRO is like the CFO um, in the financial crisis. What are, what are the key things that you're seeing, um, you know, CHROs actually delivering that value and probably even more than just having a seat at the table, they're, they're either at the head of the table or, or sitting at the right-hand side of the, the CEO? Um, it's really, really good question, Chris, and I think it's, it's worth saying that um... – now, when we wrote HR on the offensive, which was our white paper uh, a couple of years ago that, that um, Emily Ennis and myself were sort of shaping, there was a question around mindset and a question around HR as a function, typically doubting itself and maybe feeling the need to prove its worth more than any other function uh, as a support function within a business. Um, and, and, you know, that, that was always sort of something that surprised, surprised us. When, when over the years, you know, we've had a lot of focus on the role of HR, the structure of HR, and it's an ongoing topic that we, you know, we and HR directors like to debate at length. I think that the point here is that, as, as I said in that, in that quote, you know, the, the pandemic has primarily been a people impact scenario. Um, compared to the financial crisis, which has had significant people impacts, right? But the pandemic, more than any other crisis, if you like, that we've been through, has had a people focus. And therefore, the, the HRDs involved have become front and centre of our response. Now, the way that you can leverage that, I guess, as an HRD going forward, if you've got that sort of, you, hopefully what's happened is that you've built trust, you've built rapport, you've, you've sort of cemented the value that you can bring within the business. The challenge is maintaining that. And now I'm not saying that that the HRD is the is the, the answer to all <laughs> CEO's questions. But I think there is a general shift that the recognition of the importance of people and how you manage your people is is 
you know, important uh, against the sort of how you manage your money, your assets, et cetera. And, and I think every CEO would, would acknowledge that. But I think to me, it's always about partnership. It's not it's not about just thinking people in these scenarios. There's always the sort of, you know, I, I talked to a client the other day about the importance of the the triangle between the, the sort of business overall director, the CFO and the HRD. Um, and the way they need to work together in, in a structured way that will drive the business outcomes. Now, clearly, you've got CIO and, and, and marketing and everything else in that mix as well. But it, it really focuses on maybe more of a balanced team effort more than it's been before and a recognition of the role of the HRD in shaping that team effort. And do you think um, from the discussions you have with um, CHROs and, and HR leadership, that they have the, the kind of skills and business acumen to have those discussions with the CFO and business leads? Or do you think that's lacking in some parts and that, and that you know, as, as HR people, we need to actually um, potentially upskill and, and do more around whether it's business acumen, financial skills, um, you know, really understanding how business, business models, you know, how profitability works, all of those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly at CPO, CHRO level, I don't think you would have got there unless you've got that commerciality. Um, but I do think that, you know, talking to HRDs and again, through the HROTO research, there were some common themes around where HRDs felt their team capabilities needed to shift. Commerciality being absolutely up there. So an understanding of the business drivers, how the business makes money, the challenges it faces and being able to articulate that and have, you know, structured, challenging conversation, particularly for the HR business partner role. Right. But but also across the HR function, always bringing it back to business value. So I think that is definitely an area where I think HRDs would like to to see the, the dial shift. I think the other areas that have come out as well are things around OD to org design and the fact that businesses through the pandemic and post pandemic will be going through more and more business restructuring as more business transformation and the role HR can play in supporting that business change by being their sort of design partner, if you like, through that process, I think is critical. And then the other aspect that's come out a lot is around analytics and insights. So how can we actually up our ability uh, not not just to understand what the data and the, the the power of the people data that we probably most organizations, certainly large organizations are now leveraging from their core HR systems. But what do we use that data for? How can we drive insights to be on the front foot with making business decisions? So I think there's a number of gaps, but commerciality is absolutely up there. Mm. And, and I think the interesting thing to me, so I love insights and I love empathy and, and the heart side of HR. So to, to me, and it's the combination of the two, it's, it's almost the um, the science of the insights and, and having data to, to drive decision-making, but it's also not losing, why does why has HR existed in the first place? It's to, to put, a, you know, a more caring wrapper around the business to make, to make that work as well. Any other things that you think are, are critical sort of in the skills um, direction space? I was thinking, for example, around the sort of change adoption um, side of things or, or, or you know, transformational change. Um, yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that being able to support the business effectively through change right now, whether that's the org design, whether it's the behavioral change aspects of that, but being a, a strong change partner for the business, I think is something that naturally 
rests with HR or is sort of adjacent to the way HR operates right now. And I think, again, would be would be a gap in, in uh, you know, for, for most HRDs when you think about how they manage that. And that's not not specifically that. I mean, what, what HR excels at is the people transition aspects of business change. Right. So dealing with the workforce implications and potential um, redundancies and restructuring around the people transition. This is broader than that, though. This is around actually how can we change behavior longer term to reflect the business desire to do things differently. And I think that to me is a broader aspect of it. I think the other thing that the other trend that I'm certainly picking up on in HR, would, you know, HR's role in supporting that is being more real time and continuous with the way we manage people. So for me, you know, topics that are coming out now, and, and, and again, I think this is linked to the flexible working and the hybrid working approaches, but giving, you know, seeking continuous feedback. So how can we continue to listen to our workforce in a way that we have probably only done once or twice a year through an engagement survey in a structured manner. How can we have the the power of that sort of feedback on a, on a continuous basis? So that's one aspect. But the other aspects that it's creeping into now, and, and, and performance management is probably the one that's sort of ahead of the game in terms of looking for continuous performance feedback, you know, moving away from the annual cycle and so on. But it's coming into talent management as well, I think. So rather than, again, the talent cycle of looking at your nine box grid or whatever you're using on an annual basis, Basis. How can you be more real time around that as well? So I think this sort of real time continuous aspect of people management is coming to the fore. And again, that sort of lends itself to more around the tools you're using, but also that the, the importance of the line manager and making sure that line manager population is is front and centre with owning their accountabilities around people management. And I have to be careful now because I'll get on my other soapbox, which is people manager <laughs> capability, before Mr. Howard steps in and stops me. But um, I, I'm actively managing myself, look, to stop myself going down that one. So, so before <laughs> Mr. Howard stops me, I'm going to really quickly say I, I agree with everything that you have said, and I think it's absolutely fundamental that we get, um, you know, stronger focus on around analytics, but actually taking insights to action. Yeah. Over to you, Mr. Howard. Yeah, I mean, we're just uh, coming towards the end of today's podcast. I just wanted to ask one more question, which is how often do you think businesses, HR teams should be reviewing what well, businesses really their people strategy? I guess that entirely depends on how often they refresh their business strategy, right? Because the two are inextricably linked. Ultimately, one doesn't, you know, you don't have a people strategy unless you have clarity over business strategy that that, that one drives the other and therefore it entirely depends on the business cycle. It will depend on the business planning cycle, to be honest, Chris. And I think that, that you know, some organisations do that every year. Some might do it a, a, a longer period. Some might do it shorter. Um, but ultimately, it's tying into is the business changing direction? Are the people requirements changing? Are the people outcomes shifting? And, and some of that may be reactive in that something might be happening in the market. Maybe you've had a ma massive competitor change in your external market. Maybe there's been a huge acquisition that, that's really impacted your position in the market and prompted a refresh. Some of it might be more you know, cyclically driven. Um, so I think that that's where I would go on that one. But Mr. Horton. I would, I would just add that I think it's also industry specific. So, for example, if you're in a higher paced, highly changing industry, um, you're probably going to have to do both the reactive and proactive um, discussions um, more frequently um, than otherwise. But I think Kathy's fundamental point is the correct one, and that is, What's the business planning cycle, whether that's yearly, half yearly, quarterly, whatever whatever it is, it should really align with that to make sure that, that um, we're keeping up with uh, the rest of the organisation. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, 
thank you very much for joining us today. So you can catch this podcast on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts. Actually, I need to stop saying iTunes. It's not iTunes. It's Apple Podcasts now. Uh, we're old on school. Spotify, Stitcher. Yeah, old school. I'm meant to be the old man of this group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are on SoundCloud as well. If you want to see all of our back catalogue of uh, podcasts, you can see those. And if you'd like to see all of the uh, different locations, if you want to live stream it, you can do that through our website, which is lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. Kathy, thank you very much for joining me. Pleasure. And Mr. Horton, you've now been broken in, so we'll get you lots of uh, other podcast uh, sessions, I think. Mr. Howard, Kathy, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Speak again soon. Yes, we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive podcast. Bye-bye.